Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We've heard talk of the Safe Third Countries Agreement. Over the last couple of years, as an almost unchecked flow of so-called asylum seekers crossed our borders, mostly at non-designated checkpoints, uh, they were virtually welcomed by the RCMP, taken care of for a fairly long time, in some cases still, not the ideal situation uh, of one capable of any kind of controls. Uh, Craig Damien Smith is Associate Director of Global Migration Lab at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Welcome, Craig Damien Smith. Thank you for having me. All right. So Canada and the U.S. are supposedly uh, beginning talks that would result in a redraft of some kind of this border treaty to cut flow of uh, asylum seekers. We're talking about a redo of this safe third countries agreement. And I think most people don't understand it in the first place. Now, I always believed that it basically said we could not legally accept people who had become refugees in another country that was a signatory, in this case we're talking about the United States, uh, and then crossed over here to get a better deal. Is that so? No, that's not quite it. Uh, the Safe Third Country Agreement, what, what that means is that the Canada and the United States recognize one another as a safe place for people who want to claim asylum, who need to claim asylum, to do so. So if you land in one of those countries first, that's the place where... Under the agreement, you're supposed to claim asylum. Most so of the it, people, it, but, I was just going to say, if you've done that, how can you go then and claim asylum in another one? The majority of people who are crossing the border have not claimed asylum in the United States. Oh. Um, had they claimed asylum in the United States, then they arguably would have been safe. Um, so the majority of people crossing the border either are long-term undocumented residents who no longer feel safe in the U.S., or they're transiting through the U.S. to arrive in Canada and claim asylum. Okay, so if I'm a Haitian, let me use that as an example. That's a good example. I was was granted, it's a good example because uh, maybe I was granted a temporary visa five years long, and uh, it would allow me to stay in the USA due to the fact that I came from a country that was approximately that time stricken by an earthquake disaster, and... um, I take a look at my visa and I say, holy crap, the visa is expired. I better get out of here, but I don't want to go back to Haiti. I'm going to go to Canada. Um, why, why are these people, uh, or, or am I wrong in saying this, getting a free pass? They're not getting a free pass. Canada has a very well-established asylum determination process. Uh, it might be backlogged at the moment because of the large number of applications that we have, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. The case with the Haitians was that they had something called, you're right, temporary protected status in the United States. Um, and when the Trump administration came in, they announced that they would be ending temporary protected status for Haitians. Now, you, you have to ask whether or not Haiti is a, is a safe country to go back to uh, by any number of measures. It's not. And these people haven't only been in the United States for, for five years. Uh, many of them have established lives in the U.S., they've had children in the U.S., they have businesses, they have jobs. Um, and when the United States 
announces that they're going to end their temporary protected status, they have to make a choice like any of us would make a choice. They can go underground in the United States. They can try to move to a safer jurisdiction like a sanctuary city. They can go back home, which is not really an option for any of them, or they can choose a third country. And in this case, they've decided to come to Canada to claim asylum. So my choice of words when I used the term free pass was a bad choice of words. However, um, I, I guess I chose it because uh, without apologizing, if you went to the United States and you stayed five years and you got married and you started a business and the business is successful and you had a kid or two um, yeah. and, and you came to the conclusion and it would be a reasonable conclusion, I'm uh, becoming an American. This is great. Um, and, and now you suddenly realize I can't stay and I can't be an American. And you're right. I don't want to go back to Haiti. That's a reason for Canada to say, uh, come on over. I kind of didn't say come on over. I mean, the Trump administration said, get the heck out. Um, and Canada, well, did they? Because at the, there was a time where we were literally saying, come on over. Our prime minister tweeted it. Uh, Justin Trudeau's tweet about uh, refugees being welcome in Canada was in response to something that has been struck down by uh, several courts in the United States, and that was the Muslim ban. That was that was Donald Trump, the president of the United States, uh, who is notoriously Islamophobic, who calls. Uh, am I allowed to swear on public radio? You can you can swear without saying the the f word. Okay, who who calls African countries shithole countries? Who says that there's not a country run by a black person that that is a functioning country? Um, and then that person. And then when, when he, when he uh, announced that he was banning refugees and travel visas for people uh, from uh, predominantly Muslim and predominantly black countries, uh, that is when Justin Trudeau sent that tweet. Um, okay. it's, it's up for debate whether or not that tweet acted as a pull factor or the fact that Canada has a well-established refugee determination system acted as the pull factor. But the thing to keep in mind here is it's the push factor from the United States that that was the catalyst. Well then, Craig, what needs fixing specifically? Uh, well, without uh, some kind of governmental change in the United States where people feel safe, I'm sure that you've seen the images over the last days of uh, around El Paso, Texas, uh, asylum seekers being kept in cages under under freeways. I'm sure that you've heard of children being separated from their parents. I'm sure that, you, sure that you've heard of children dying in, in detention uh, until that situation changes. And that's really not... Somehow that hasn't entered the uh, mainstream political debate in Canada, but it's definitely part of the legal debate and the scholarly debate about whether or not we can actually consider the U.S. a safe country. Um, the other thing that needs to change in Canada is that we have, you know, the predominantly conservative politicians doing something that um, that we've seen take hold across liberal democracies all across Europe. Um, and that's, that's right-wing politicians playing up this fear card and arguing about the fact that, you know, we've lost control of the border. You know, but we don't have conservative politicians right now. We have conservative politicians arguing that Canada has lost control of the border and we have an election coming up. Uh, and they're pushing the debate and using this erroneous language about losing control of the border, and therefore you force the sitting government to respond to that. Well, I think that, you know, that without defending anybody or taking that particular point, because I'm, I'm talking to you and you're an expert in this, um, 
if you've got people who are being abused down mm-hmm. at the southern border of the United States, and I readily acknowledge that we are, is it Canada's um, necessity on a world basis to say we're going to step in and end that, or does this belong to all countries? It belongs to all countries. I mean, whether Canada is a signatory of the 1951 Refugee Convention and the 1967 Additional Protocols, there have been Supreme Court decisions in the United in Canada, rather, uh, that state that all asylum claimants are due uh, a fair hearing. Uh, and Canada is living up to its obligations. In Canada, I mean, whatever you think of the government, if we look around the world at what's happening in liberal democracies, look all across Europe, look at the United States, we see countries that are are, are derogating from these norms that have kind of uh, norms of of protecting people's human rights and just giving them a chance to have a fair hearing through due process. Canada is one of the only countries now that's living up to those very basic obligations that we've understood as obligations since the end of the Second World War. And we should keep in mind what the kind of things that happened during the the Second World War that led us to draft a refugee convention in the first place. Well, terrible things happened during the Second World War, you know, where people arrived at our shores and were turned away. And and I agree with you that uh, nobody wants to see somebody sent literally to their death as a result of the fact that we say no. On the one hand, on the other hand, how many can we take? How many is too many? How many is not enough? Canada has, as I said, a very well-established system with the Immigration and Refugee Board, with the with the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, the IRPA, as it's called. Uh, we've seen these numbers before. 40,000 people is not a lot of people. Uh, what we really need is better intergovernmental cooperation between cities, between provinces, between the federal government to come up with long-term and sustainable solutions to this. Canada is a very rich country with very effective laws and institutions, and the 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 fear around this and and the the kind of tenor of the debate around this is the reason that you and I are having this conversation. It's not the absolute numbers. How open is the United States to what you want us to do? Uh, what I want, I, I mean, I. Well, I, I use I use you because you're the lightning rod in this case. What we apparently as a country want to do. So, I mean, if if we think about the origins of the Safe Third Country Agreement, right? It was after September 11th. The U.S. wanted to tighten its borders. Uh, Canada at that time wanted an effective means of of controlling the southern borders. So we signed the Safe Third Country Agreement. Um, now it's up for negotiation when. Clearly, there's no love lost between the Trump administration uh, and the Trudeau government. Um, so, you know, public safety minister, uh, sorry, the, the, the border security minister, Bill Blair, um, has asked the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, to reopen the negotiations. <clears throat> DHS have now sent the request to an undersecretary uh, in the Department of State. But really, people who watch these things, I had some conversations this morning about it at Ryerson University with colleagues from the Migration Policy Institute in D.C. Um, The real decision will be made in the White House. So 
The question is what the very fickle uh, Trump administration is going to ask from Canada. Um, and that's, you know, we'll, we'll see in the, in the, in the months ahead uh, whether or not that goes forward. Let me speculate. I have a feeling he'll say, I want an appropriation of funds so we can build a tunnel that takes people, as many as want to get in there, from the southern border all the way up to Canada, let the Canadians have them all. Uh, it is not without precedent, uh, as we saw during the 2015 refugee crisis in Europe, that frontline states would either passively let people pass through to go on to the next state, that's what we call burden shifting, or even actively transport people. But that's not what's happening in the U.S. Um, what's happening in the U.S. is that basically the Americans are doing nothing. Um, whether or not that is calculated to cause harm to the Trudeau government, uh, that would be, I, I don't think that you would be wrong in, in speculating if that was the case. I guess going forward, the real question is what they're going to want from the Canadians to do something about this. Um, Another big question here is if think about it down the line. <clears throat> you close this quote unquote close the loophole in the safe third country agreement. That changes the RCMP and CBSA into an agency that's going to be chasing down people on the border and trying to catch them. What that does in the first place is it fundamentally changes the way that we think about the US Canada border. Think about the rhetoric that we have in Canada. Think about the myths about the longest undefended border in the world. Right? This allows us to live, uh, live lives that are, are free of fear around borders. And I think that's a good thing for Canadian national identity and Canadian national discourse. If we change that all of a sudden and we start securitizing the way that we think about the border and the policies that we have towards the border, that is what creates criminality, transnational criminality, transnational smuggling, and smuggling turning into human trafficking. If we want to create an illicit market for human smuggling, the best way to do that is to, is to have prohibition. We know that in all other things, when you have a market demand and then you have prohibition, then you start getting illicit markets. Craig Damien Smith, very interesting commentary. Obviously, some things to watch in the days to come. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Craig Damien Smith, Associate Director of the Global Migration Lab at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. I'm Peter Sherman. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.